is literally days away. Are we ready for 2022? Let's get ready to rumble! We're back for part two of a look at 2021. Before stepping into the future, it's time to look back at some of the artists, filmmakers, authors, and coaches who helped shape our interludes world. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is a special edition of Interludes. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by NBN's African American Historical News Journal. Give the gift of knowledge this holiday season as the drive for five starts now. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Valerie Johnson. Greatness is what we want to bring up. Earlier this year, the WNBA Chicago Sky made the finals with Chicago native Candace Parker leading the way for a first-time championship. Women's basketball coach and our favorite North Central alum, Tony Thompson, gave his thoughts on what could possibly happen with the Chicago Sky. How would you describe the determination and leadership that we're seeing from Naperville's Candace Parker this season in the playoffs and now in the WNBA finals? To see my girl Candace come back home, as I mentioned to you in the summertime, uh, I didn't expect this. I tell you what, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and it points out this perspective. I was talking to someone the other day. If you're not watching this WNBA final and you call yourself a basketball fan, you cannot possibly be a fan. Uh, you got exactly. the in the six seats and the Mercury and the Sky. And they weren't even, either team was not even predicted to even be here in this final. And it's a rematch from 2014, but we didn't have Candace, right? Now we do. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. It's phenomenal to see what they've been able to accomplish, especially over the last 10 to 20 years. And, and, and the NBA, the WNBA has been around. I was talking with someone about that. That's It's been around since 19, the 90s. We're in the 90s. 25 years. This is the 25th anniversary for the WNBA. And, and just think, just a few years ago, the NBA, quote unquote, just got behind them in the push. So imagine 25 years ago, if the NBA would have pushed the WNBA like they pushed the NBA logo, then the league would, would now have probably a team in every city that the NBA has. And the league would grown and it'd be massive right now. From team coaching to exercise coaches, Chicago native and fitness expert Dre Nichols Everett educates us on how mindset and weight loss is more important than physical fitness. Is losing weight more an exercise in mental discipline or physical discipline? Sounds oh like God. oh, mental. It's mental. And the and the and the thing is, people think that it's physical. It has nothing to do with that. I mean, of course you're doing physical work, but to get there and to and to get started every day and to actually do it, it all starts here because our self-talk, as soon as you wake up, say say you're a person that works out in the morning, right? As soon as you wake up, your brain tries to protect you. Like, I don't want to get out of bed, you're safe in the bed, stay in the bed because our brain is meant to protect us, right? Okay. So if you get out of bed, it's gonna be it's, it's danger, danger. You know, you can get hurt, something can happen to you, just stay in the bed. And that's when all the rationalization starts, right? 
So if you start here and you know that's happening, you can say, oh, shut it down and get up and go do what you got to do. You know, so everything starts mentally because you, you're, if you want to do something, your mind has to give you permission to do it. So if you want to get fit, you got to get fit here first. Wow. Negative, negative. And that you just mentioned that earlier, negative self-talk and, and how does that come up when you are teaching your classes, especially on the mental side of, 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 of your classes? So I really focus like my every you know gyms have niche right so my niche I work with high achieving professionals who can do everything the career thing they're crushing the family thing slaying they're doing great in everything except the weight thing they can't get that down there's so many women and men out there who just crush in every other part of their life high achievers and they do the thing when it comes to the weight loss thing they can't make it stick. So those people, the people that I focus on to really helping because they are high achievers, their self-talk is on fleek. Their negative self-talk is on fleek because we, and I'm a high achiever and I know what I do to myself. I'm not aware of it is anytime you don't do something at your level. And sometimes our levels are impossible. It's, they're not even like acceptable. It's ridiculous how we treat ourselves, high achievers. But we don't realize we're bashing ourselves because we're doing it on a subconscious level and it's just happening and you're just ripping yourself a new one. And um, it affects you, it is true. So I teach people how to listen to that self-talk and shut it down. So to give yourself, I call give yourself grace. It's like God gives us grace, right? Mm -hmm. So I tell people, like, and, and I practice this myself because I am a self-talk basher. I bash myself, but I've been really working on it. So anytime I feel myself getting there, I just stop in the moment. I'm like, yo, yo, it's not that bad. And also saying to yourself, would you speak to your best friend like this? Would you talk to, if so whatever's going on in your mind, would you talk to your mother like that? Would you talk to your best friend like that? No, you wouldn't do that. So why are you doing it to yourself? Stop doing it to yourself. There's so much history in the concept of soul food. Having the conversation with soul food scholar and author of Black Smoke, African-Americans in the United States of Barbecue, was extremely educational and enlightening. What should Americans understand about the full history of soul food in this country? Well, soul food is one of the earliest fusion cuisines in our country. It blends the culinary ingredients, techniques, and traditions of West Africa, Western mm -hmm. Europe, and the Americas. And that all comes together in the American South. And a lot of this food is foundational to our nation's food. If you think about the most iconic regional cuisine, it's Southern and soul food overlaps heavily with Southern, but I, you know, I argue it's a different thing, but although there's some that say they're the same, I think they're a little mm -hmm. bit different, but um, I don't think we fully appreciate what African-American cooks have done to shape our food tastes. Um, and you know, uh, the way that Latinos dominate uh, commercial kitchens today, that was African-Americans a hundred years ago. Uh, now, the difference was is that African-Americans had a freer hand in shaping a, 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 the food served in a restaurant. Today, everything's so corporate and so controlled. I don't think these Latino cooks can really put their own spin on things. You know, they got to follow that formula. That wasn't the case 100 years ago. And uh, whether it was barbecue, uh, Southern cooking or whatever, restaurants would actually advertise the fact that they had a black cook. 
signaling to diners, you're going to get the real thing if you come eat at my place. And some of the most celebrated restaurants um, of the 1800s had black cooks. You know, they're anonymous to us, unfortunately, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, people noticed that there were black women in those um, positions. And in fact, after emancipation, New York restaurants would actually recruit black women from the South to come up north and cook for them so that they could advertise having authentic Southern food. Uh, and when it came to barbecue, um, African-Americans were put on stagecoaches and trains all over the country to bring a taste of authentic Southern barbecue. Musical artist and first-time author Malika Miller shared her personal story about being a 40-year-old version and the convictions regarding her walk with God with our executive producer, Michael Womble. So that's a message that you can present to people who have not been married. But you know, unfortunately, and, and, and this is in, in the church as well, yeah. that there are those who have been married mm -hmm. who are no longer married and they may be seeking out a second mm -hmm. husband. Right. What advice, what, what do you have to say to them? Because they mm -hmm. have already through marriage, right. I'm sure it was consummated at some yeah. point in time, mm -hmm. maybe through no fault of their own, they may be widows, Mm -hmm. They may have been in a, in a relationship where the healthy thing to do was to mm -hmm. separate from that man right. in their life. Mm -hmm. What advice, what message do you have to them who can't be virgins anymore because right. they've already gone through that? So in the book, I talk about that. Like I talk about, it's still all about loving Jesus, whether or not you had sex or not, and you're still deciding to follow Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus, because I'm literally talking to People who I've decided to say Jesus is Lord and this is where I want to live my life. So even if you are divorced and you're a Christian or a disciple of Jesus, you still are deciding to say, hey, I want to wait until I get married and have sex. But this is how I do this. This is how I can pursue Jesus as hard as I'm waiting on him to answer my prayer. All right. Because, I mean, hey, I didn't title the book. You titled the book. So, you yeah. know. And I love my title. So you know coming out, people are going to ask you about this, right? I love it. Yes, I do. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure because you yeah. should be prepared. I mean, yeah. this is, I mean, you asking people to do something that, you know, every other part of our life tells us is not, doesn't make sense. Because right. if you're going to get here, here's the scenario. You, you get, you go through a process of engagement. You, you get married. You have that honeymoon, you go there, and that one part of your relationship is not compatible. Yeah. Now, I, I can tell you it's an important part of a relationship. Yeah. It's not the only part of a relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, there's finances, there's mm -hmm. uh, companionship, but the physical connection that you make with someone, that romantic physical connection that mm -hmm. a husband and wife have been ordained to share is important mm -hmm. and if it ain't working it ain't working right. and to find out after you have said that this is going to be my partner for life that it's not working mm -hmm. that's terrible wouldn't you want to know ahead of time but here's the that thing works or not? You, right but let me catch you mr wombo something you just said that i'm trying to tell people this is how it is but as you read my book it's not me telling people it's god telling people because I have scriptures in there backing up what God is saying, how he wants us to live according to please him. So it's not me saying it. I'm just sharing the scriptures and hoping and trying to encourage people to see like, this is the standard that God has set for us to live 
if we're going to follow Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you love me, then you obey my teachings. And he also says, if you do not love me, then you won't obey my teachings. And then he goes into what it means to obey him and the teachings that he wants us to follow. And so I just share those teachings that Jesus wants us to follow if you're deciding to live this life. If you're not deciding to live life, then that's on you. The way filmmakers and creative artists make art for the masses slightly changed during the height of COVID-19. Here's filmmaker Kevin Urquhart and Hanford's Fiction's playwright, Eric Denay and Casey Keene, who found their voices despite how audiences could experience their art. The, the, your ability to make this film pre-COVID is amazing that you were able to get this done. The reality that we face now is that we are still in COVID and we're unsure how long that's gonna last. And because of that, we have over half a million people yeah. who in some way have had family members, friends who have had to go through the central kind of theme and message of this film. They've gone through grief in, in, in ways that they probably never thought they would have to go through. And they weren't able to do what you were able to give and provide in this film. They weren't able to say goodbye and be there in that room. And, and I'm wondering um, in this kind of post-COVID world, what value you, you may see from this film that this could give people that sense of closure that they don't, they didn't get on their own. Kevin, how, how do you see this, this film being viewed in a kind of a post-COVID world? Uh, I think it's a way to really embrace the grieving process, but at the same time, to be able to know that it's healthy to do that would be beneficial in the long run, even if you're, you seem stuck in that phase, but at the same time, making sure that you're talking with someone through it, or, you know, if, if whatever faith base you may be, you know, going to that as well, um, if professional help, um, that is a way as well, having an outlet that's positive or healthy for the grieving process, I think is, is a great way. And so even with this film for people to see it, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm just grateful for the cast and the crew that were involved with it, but um, to be able to see it, it, it you know, I think it, it's a great way to really share in that and knowing that cherish the times you are with them, you know what I mean? And so uh, not necessarily be stuck in the denial aspects, but to, to live in those moments, to know that your, your experience after that, whatever they may have rubbed off on you, they're living through you now. Yeah. And I, I have to say, one of the reasons why I started my podcast was to honor my mom. And Michael has been a, a large a large help in keeping this platform. I'm literally gonna start with the writer-director. It, it always starts with the writer. When you come up with the idea, you come up with the imagination of this. Originally, Brother Mine was written by you, Eric, and Casey King for the stage. And the Correct. play primarily deals with themes revolving around family, race, privilege, civil rivalry, and community building and finding oneself. Uh, what initially sparked your interest to write a play like Brother Mine? I'm gonna go with Eric first. I like dealing in things that are humanist and I really feel like when we put things into a family setting, we give ourselves a lot of opportunity for like real honest conflict resolution and you see like a, a an inherent empathy that just can't be taken away. 
when you deal with family. So that for me is like where I like to um, to focus my particular work. And KC, how was it working with Eric when you guys developed <laughs> this this project so many years ago? Um, well, it was wonderful, first of all, and it <laughs> continues to be wonderful. But I did come to this story specifically with the O'Briens after Eric had already conceived it. And he had been working on it for a while before I got my hands on it. Yeah, so it is really, truly a collaborative, you know, piece of writing because um, a lot of the things that are there were inherent um, when Eric conceived it. And um, I dare not touch <laughs> but a lot of the structuring of events and really focusing on an issue of credibility, which was important for me thematic wise um, and building that into the script was important for me. So those are the two things, of course, building character too. But, um, and I think that comes naturally once you create or set or work towards creating a strong sense of place and really working on idiosyncratic voices for the characters. And once you do that, I think the credibility starts to build for the characters, creating their backstory, how that propels them into the future was really what Eric and I um, have been focused on. Um, but again, we, we established a very strong family and we established a very strong theme and we establish a very strong sense of empathy for the human beings that are involved in our storytelling. Um, we are not critical human beings. We critically analyze and we try to take on problems, but we don't try to like judge other people's. Uh, that, that's an important part, I think, of our hand-forged fiction storytelling. It's why this group of people are all working together because they're good people and they're empathetic people. They care, right? And that, that's one of the things that I think is, is trademark for the kind of work that we're going to be doing. love from all of our guests over this last year of 2021 on behalf of our entire team we would like to thank all of our guests and audience for allowing the interludes platform to be a space of aspiration inspiration and motivation towards your goals and dreams for this special episode we'd like to thank coach tony thompson fitness expert dre nichols everett authors Adrian E. Miller and Malika Miller, the cast and crew of Kevin Urquhart's short film Grief, and the cast and crew of the audio stage play Brother Mine for their contributions to our audio podcast, Interludes. They're all official friends of the show. If you'd like to hear more from all of them, check out our Interludes archives. Have you seen it? It's the weekly chat with EP Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson. Interludes Extra presents Talk on Tuesdays. Join us in the new year, 2022, as we start our new streaming season and break down the latest topics surrounding music, movies, and sports. On Tuesday, January 4th, we'll be back at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, live in the chat on our Interludes YouTube channel. Interludes, 
Original concept by Valerie Johnson. Written by Michael Womble. Produced by Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson. Original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by NBN's African American History News Journal, documenting 178 years of our country's historical newspaper articles. Give the gift of knowledge this holiday season to a young person and a chance to raise scholarship dollars for students attending HBCUs. To purchase this journal, please visit the website nbnconnect.com and tell them in the referral section that you heard it on Interludes. To subscribe to our YouTube channel or join our Interludes Facebook group, visit the website linktree forward slash Pure Light Media. <laughs>